Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Craig. Hey, good morning. You guys doing well? Come on. Always such an honor to, to speak on a Sunday. Uh, love seeing you guys. If it is your first time here, uh, man, I'm just so grateful that you're here this morning. I hope you feel at home. Um, and my name is Daniel, and so you've met someone. Welcome to the family this morning. If you guys got your Bibles this morning, uh, you can flip open. If not, we'll have some on the Sky Bible up here. Uh, we're in this series called Blessed, Not What You Think. If you weren't here last week, man, you've got to go online. Uh, listen, Pastor Craig opened up our series on Blessed, Not What You Think. We're looking at uh, one of the most famous teachings of Jesus uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're looking at the, uh, the gospel that accounts it in Matthew. There's also in Luke, he records it and what it looks like. Uh, but this would be probably the most recognized teaching of Jesus. Um, even from people who wouldn't follow him, they would have heard of the Sermon on the Mount or the first portion, which is called the Beatitudes, uh, which is Latin for blessings. Uh, and so it's this teaching that Jesus goes through, very, very well known, but at the same time, it's probably the most uh, misunderstood and the least obeyed teaching of Jesus. It's kind of interesting because when we hear the word bless, awesome, thank you, Caleb. We hear the word bless, when we look through that, the list that Jesus gives us is not maybe what we would think. And it leaves us, especially in Western philosophy and the Western train of thought, we come to the conclusion there's no way that Jesus could have actually meant what he said. But as we look to this, we see that this is not a cryptic message. There's no hidden meaning here. Jesus meant what he said, which leaves us to ask the question, what do I do with this? This is a great question to ask yourself every time you come to the scripture when something maybe is different than how you live your life is, what do I do with this? We looked at last week, this starts with Jesus, he gets baptized, and he starts his ministry, and there's this massive crowd. There's people from his hometown, his own state, kind of BC, and then there's all over Canada, even some Americans got in there, right? Like there's all of these people circling around. It's interesting that he's going to teach a little bit about loving your enemies, and there was people that would have been enemies of the Jewish people in the crowd. So Jesus isn't talking about a hypothetical here. He's literally saying to Moses, hey, you need to love your enemy. He's like, hey, you, that guy, love him. You know the one you want to punch in the face that's like lording over you and that probably like took your family's farm from you? Love him if you want to follow me. And so Jesus, he talks to the crowd who are there to receive a blessing from him. They're there to receive healing. And what I love about Jesus is he's anything but what you expect him to be. Right, like they come for healing and Jesus gives them something totally different. I always think about like the, the boys that brought their friend, the four friends that brought their friend to Jesus and they sit him down and every, he's lame and everyone's like, oh, what's Jesus gonna do? He goes, blessed are you, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like, like cool, well, kind of, I'm not sure if you can do that, but like he clearly wants healing, Jesus. Why would you go and do this? He says, oh, okay. Oh, man, you guys just don't get it. Fine. Hey, get up. You're healed, but your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus is always speaking to issues that maybe we're unaware of. He's anything but what you think. And we see that Jesus takes the crowd and he moves up the mountain to teach, which would have been a custom for rabbis of the day to do this. And he, Jesus' heart, and it's this beautiful illustration, as Pastor Craig talked about last week, is God's heart is never to leave you in the crowd. 
Getting your ticket into Disneyland, if you were here last week, gets you into the crowd. But Jesus is always in the business of taking the crowd and making them disciples because he knows what's best for you. He never just wants to leave you on a Sunday gathering where you just sit and and participate and you receive from what God has for you. But he always wants to take you and say, hey, would you follow me up the mountain? And he begins to teach. You see, and he starts to tell them what his kingdom is like which is in direct opposition to the kingdom of Rome that they lived in or the culture that they would have expected. And here's just a little, this would have been the Beatitudes that they were most familiar with. It's from the Sirach, which is, uh, like it was an Old Testament book in the Catholic Bible. It's part of it. It's a wisdom type book. This would have been very familiar to all of the Jewish people. It would have read this. This is what they thought would have been the Beatitudes. Says, I can think of nine who would be called blessed, and ten my tongue proclaims. Why they speak like that, no one knows, but they do. Uh, a man who can rejoice in his children, a man who li- lives to see the downfall of his foes. Happy the man who lives with a sensible wife. You notice how it didn't say happy is the wife who lives with a sensible man because they didn't even have faith for that. But happy is the man who lives with a sensible wife and the one who does not plow with ox and ass together. Heaven forbid. That would be terrible, right? I don't know. Uh, Happy is the one who does not sin with tongue and the one who does not serve an inferior for who would ever want to serve someone beneath them. Happy or blessed is the one who finds a friend and one who speaks to attentive listeners, those who know that you have something to offer them. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. And see, there's not necessarily anything wrong with this. Like all of us want to rejoice in children, right? Like we want our kids and all of us want to see those things coming against us fail, but not us. All of us want a happy marriage and apparently all of us, you know, heaven forbid we'd have an ox and an ass together plowing because that would just be embarrassing like oh don't want that on your Facebook profile Uh, happy is the one like all these things are great things and this would have been culturally accepted that people would understand yeah that is a blessed life but then Jesus steps onto the scene and he changes things a little bit in light of what is well accepted Jesus says this in Matthew 5 verses 1 it says seeing the crowds again the crowds he went up to the mountain and he sat down his disciples came to him. Again, we, when we hear the word disciples, we think just the 12. There was many more of them that came up, those who really wanted to follow their rabbi in this moment, Jesus. And he oppressed, or he opened his mouth. He didn't oppress his mouth. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed, and they probably would have expected to hear the list we just read. But he starts with this, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And people are like, whoa, Jesus, you flipped the page, you're in the wrong chapter. Like, no, 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 you said blessed, I know you think, but, and as we saw last week, that the, the reason this is at first is because everything in God starts with this moment. This word poor isn't just like, oh, I need a little bit, like I have kind of some, but I need a little bit, but it's this absolute depravity and bankruptcy of anything good where we cower and hold out our hands saying, Jesus, please, And again, if you didn't hear last week, please go online because it sets up this entire series of how we come to God completely deprived of anything good in and of ourselves, humble in spirit, for theirs theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning, we're going to look at the next two. It said, blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, Jesus is trying to make it very, very clear to us that my kingdom is not like any other kingdom that you've experienced. And if you want to follow me, if you want to leave the crowd and be my disciples, this is what my kingdom looks like. And you can go on and read ahead. We're going to be dealing the next week. He, he continues in the next eight beatitude where it's just, he just starts to flip it on its head. And how I started with why it's maybe the least understood or the least obeyed is how could it be blessed to mourn? How could the meek inherit the earth? Which leaves us in this place of desperation, a poor spirit and says, God, would you teach us how to follow you in this way? So let's pray. Jesus, we echo the prayers of what most likely would have been the disciples that day. Saying, God, would you help me understand what you're trying to say to us? God, we put aside our Canadian culture. We put aside our prosperity theology in the negative sense. God, we, we put aside our Western American dream that everything is meant for my good aside. God, we lay aside our kingdom. We come to you poor in spirit. And we say, God, would you teach us what it means to be a citizen of your kingdom, that we might follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, this is not an easy teaching that Jesus is about to do. And I want to clarify two things before we move on. First, I want to let you know what Jesus is not saying. Because this has been taken to an extreme in times of the monastic movement and the asceticism in different times where it would say, hey, if you want to be blessed, you have to be in situations where you're mourning which would cause people to injure themselves and, and to try and create the worst possible experience for life because somehow that would cause them to be blessed. You see, to be blessed, you have to become this list. That is what Jesus is not saying. This is, is not, the Beatitudes is not an exhaustive list of the only people who are blessed. How do I know that? God called Abraham to be blessed. And in Deuteronomy, he actually said that Israel, there shouldn't ever be a single person poor because that's how much God wants to bless you. That you will lend to other countries, but you will never have to lend from them. That you will rule over other countries, but you will never be ruled over if you keep my commandments. We see that God's heart is to bless. And so this isn't saying if you want to be blessed, you got to be poor. No, we look all throughout Jesus' life and a lot of the things he was able to do was because God blessed people financially and they will walk into that. So what this is not is saying this is the only way that you can be blessed. This is not the narrow door of blessing and what it looks like. What this also is not is saying that if you're anything other than this list, you're not blessed. Again, Luke even balances it. He talks about the woes, which we're going to talk about. But what it's not saying is if you have money, you're not blessed. It's not saying if life's going well with you, ah, you're not blessed. This isn't a moment like, oh, you're lacking, oh, this and that. But you see, but the Roman kingdom and culture around them at this point had a list that they considered to be blessed, much like we read in the Sirach. That this was the idea of blessed, but they also had a list of people who were not blessed. The poor, pushed to the side. Those mourning, you did something wrong. 
Those who are poor and say, no, no, yeah. those who are meek, ah, just get out of the way. You see, the Roman Empire, they took the earth by force. And the, and, the, and the vigilant and the strong inherited. And this was this idea of what would have been blessed in this moment. But Jesus is saying, listen, that's not the only thing. See, Luke's list of woes, those who are rich, fed well, laughing, spoken well of. He says, woe to you because that might be the end. And see what? Luke is not condemning his wealth. He's not condemning eating well. He's not condemning laughter. He's not condemning a good reputation. What Luke is cautioning us of is that when we make Jesus our means to the ends of wealth, we make Jesus our means and that end being our happiness. When those things become the reason and the purpose, our end goal, he says, now you got to watch out because there might come a time where you got to choose between your wealth and your obedience. And if your wealth is your ends, you won't obey. And so there's this balance that we need to walk in the tension of. And again, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Jesus is speaking to his audience. In his audience was poor people. In his audience was the wealthy. In his audience was the religious elite. In his audience was people from different countries that had different understandings. So he's speaking to his audience. And we, we need to not take it out of the culture and the context and directly apply it. That's the danger of saying, I need to be poor But at the same time, we can't so water it down as to say it's all maybe for one day, but it has no grounding in my life today, which in North America, this would be our tendency because we love that God called to bless me. We couldn't understand that God would ever let me to continue to mourn. We come to the conclusion that God's existence must not be there if bad things happen because how could a good God allow suffering? See, we need to understand that God's kingdom It's not what you think. And God walks and he operates in different ways. You see, Jesus stands up to speak to a culture and a society that had created a very new, a very narrow view of people who were accepted and blessed. And the gospel always takes our narrow, exclusive idea of who's blessed and breaks open the doors and says, not so in my kingdom. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, there's room for you. Whether you're mourning or whether you're laughing, there's room for you. My gospel is expansive. There's more room than you think. You may think your circumstances negate my blessing but I'm bigger than you think my gospel my kingdom it's not what you think and I love this about Jesus so let's take a look at the first one we're going to look at we looked again poor in spirit check that out next week but the first or the second beatitude we get to is blessed are those who mourn in verse 4 Matthew blessed are those who Mourn. A little definition, in case you didn't know what mourning meant, is to grieve, to bewail, sorrow, grief, the result of a painful event or fact, sorrow of the heart that is so hurtful, it's actually outward expressed in some way by tears or lament. Keep in mind, Jesus is saying this is a blessing. Weeping, or people who are miserable because what they have done or what has been done to them, or what God is allowing to be done to them. See, culturally, there were sayings like this. A wise man obviously must steer clear of a mourner. Why? Because they were mourning clearly because they disobeyed God. See, there was a cultural context that if you were in trouble, it was the judgment of God. You deserved it. 
So for me to step in and help you, that would be going against God. And so a lot of times, again, in some of the culture, it was idea, hey, we needed to help the poor. But if you were mourning, if you lost your child, clearly, it's because you were sinful. If you struggled with infertility, well, what's your sin? Repent, and then God will clearly give you a child. And that's what it is. If your house burnt down, what, where was your sin? We see this, because even the disciples were under this teaching when they came and said, Jesus, was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be blind? We see that Jesus comes in and says, my kingdom is not maybe what you would have thought. You see, whatever your view of mourning is, this was not a good word. This was not a good thing. Because, but then Jesus comes on the scene. And it's interesting that he doesn't say this because we, we kind of think of Jesus this way. Jesus doesn't say, oh, if you're mourning, come here. I'll give you a sloppy wet kiss, right? Like, just bring it in. Oh, poor you. He says, blessed are those who mourn, which causes us to say, Jesus, what are you talking about? And if we're not careful, if you don't finish this verse, we can think that Jesus is even unaware or he's distant or he just doesn't care. And if we're honest, how many of us have felt that in times? Jesus, if you really loved me, I wouldn't have lost my child, my granddaughter. Jesus, if you loved me, you'd heal my wife. She wouldn't still be suffering. God, if you loved us, you'd bless us with a child. You know that's what we want. God, if you loved me, you'd take this sin away. You know I don't want to do it, but I keep getting stuck. God, you, you must not care. And Jesus steps in and says, hold on. My kingdom's bigger than that. Please don't minimize me to that. He doesn't say poor you. He says bless. Why does this matter? See, the Jews were looking for a Messiah that was going to come and was going to throw off the reign of the Roman Empire. It was going to be this vigilant warlord that would come and defeat the Roman Empire and would come in and would destroy. It was going to be this active like the Old Testament and it was going to throw. Did I use that word vigilant right? Is that the right word? Violent. Vigilant. Sure. They, was gonna, they, just, they didn't even know what to expect. But Jesus was just going to come, and the Messiah that they were looking for was this. He was gonna, and the Messiah was going to stop the cause of their mourning. But Jesus starts his sermon by telling them that they aren't in trouble if they're mourning. They're actually blessed. You see, it gives us three things that we're called to mourn over. And first and foremost... We're called to mourn over the things that we've done. And the Bible calls that sin, by the way. I think sometimes we don't like to use that word, but anytime we choose anything other than God's best, we miss the mark, it's sin. It doesn't negate his love for us, but it's not right. And he calls us to something different. You see, blessed are you when you mourn your sin. When Jesus does such a real work in your heart that you're just not sorry and you just don't want to get kicked out of Disneyland, to use Pastor Craig's analogy, don't kick me out of the crowd, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And then you just go back to your, but, but when you come to this, this hum, and that's why it's so important where it starts with the poor spirit, when you're so humble and you realize there's nothing good in and of yourself, Jesus isn't an addition to your life, he's not something you just do on Sunday, but when you realize you are in utter hopelessness without the gospel of Jesus, and in Romans 5, 5 says the Holy Spirit comes and pours the love of Jesus so much into your heart where you don't just mourn your sin, you turn from it. 
When's the last time your sin caused you to mourn? It's a great question. Yes, Jesus' grace has paid for it. But the grace of God doesn't cause us to go back to the same sins. It frees us from it. I think sometimes we're sorry for our sin versus mourning for our sin. And we keep going back, as the Bible says, as a dog goes back to its throw up. Rather than saying, God, mourning in anguish, saying, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'll do whatever it takes. Jesus says, that person, that person's blessed. When's the last time you mourned over your sin rather than just tried to pass over it, hoping it wouldn't happen again? Second thing it says we're called to mourn is not just the things we've done, but the things done to us. We don't like this one, right? Like, great, I'll take responsibility, but we're the first ones to take responsibility for someone else that's wronged us, right? Like, if I cut someone off, it's like, oh, sorry, give it the wave. If someone else cuts me off, I wave at them just with fewer fingers, right? And it's this idea of like, right, like, oh, hold on now, like, like, oh, 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 like, you know, hey, we gossip about our friends in school and say, sorry, I didn't mean it, but when someone else gossips about us, we're about to, you know, create another Instagram page so we can throw some memes out there at them and be like, hey, like, you come at me, I'm going to come back at you. But, but God says, hey, listen, you're actually not called to stand up and defend yourself. It says, blessed are you when you mourn those who have done wrong to you. You see, James 1, 2 says this, count it all hate this word, joy, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not when you survive it. He says, not just, oh, just get through and just try not to punch them in the face. Like, just try not to, to yell at your kids again. No, no, just count it all joy. And that word count it, it's an accounting term, which actually means, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. God, I thank you for that person that cut me off. Pray you bless them in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that I get to pay taxes. God, I thank you for that extra charge. God, I count it all joy. It's this word picture of laying it out. God, I thank you that my professor puts all my exams on one week. God, I thank you that that classmate keeps yelling at God, I thank you that person keeps taking like Count it. Oh, God, I thank you that that neighbor keeps trimming their trees and allowing me the joy of taking their trimmings that's now on my side of the yard and putting it away. God, I thank you for the housing prices today. God, I just thank you for that. Like, count it all joy. Like, if you don't feel like this dude's nuts up there yelling at me, you're not listening. God's kingdom. It's not what you think. Like, if this doesn't offend you, you might not be listening. The rips in my jacket offend you more than what this Bible... No, I'm just teasing. Uh, <laughs> like this idea that the gospel, it challenges us. It's not the crowd anymore. It says, if you want to follow me, we're going up the mountain. You might not like it up there. But my kingdom... It's not what you think. Call to mourn, not respond in anger. To mourn. Blessed are you when you're hurting. Blessed are you when others hate you. Blessed are you when you're brokenhearted. Blessed are you when you experience mourning in your family. Blessed are you when you experience hardship in your finances. Blessed are you when your loved ones go through something, when you lose a child, when you lose a grandchild, when you lose a marriage. Blessed are you when your heart is wrenched out. Blessed are you when you're struggling with health. What? 
bless. We're going to get to the other side of this first, but can I just put a side note on this? What Jesus is not saying is if someone just lost a, a loved one, that you come in and be like, blessed! Come on, rejoice! It's going to be great! No, the Bible says to mourn with those who are mourning. To celebrate with those who are celebrating. How do I know this? We see that Jesus, when he's on the way to one of his best friend's funeral, Lazarus, he sees Lazarus' two sisters sitting there mourning and crying. He takes the time to stop, and the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. But why did Jesus weep when the next verse says, he says, come on, Lazarus, get back up, bud. Jesus knew he was about to raise him back from the dead. Yes, we know everything's going to be all right, but that doesn't negate the church's responsibility to mourn with those who mourn because we have a Savior who is not too distant, who's not far off, who's been tempted in every way like you and me. We're called to mourn, to feel it with those who are mourning because in that we see how Jesus binds up the brokenhearted with the beautiful body of Christ when we get around people. Bless those who mourn. And thirdly, we're called to mourn the state of our city. Not get angry at it. Not tweet about it. Not make passive-aggressive comments about it. More, we see that Jesus looks out over Jerusalem. What does he do? He mourns. Paul mourned over cities. We see in Psalms 119, 136 says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your laws not obeyed. When we go downtown and enjoy the sun and the coffee, God bless the coffee, and the food, we have a great day. Would Jesus be able to go and enjoy himself in our city? With the opiate crisis and Overdose is still happening where people are living in less than what he, did, he, did, he did, wishes that they would. Broken families, homelessness, hurt, people trusting their wealth rather than him, turning their back to him. When's the last time you mourned over your city rather than played for, prayed for cursing or judgment? When do you mourn and pray for the good of your city? If you can't remember the last time you've mourned over your city, you might not be following Jesus the way he desires you to. That's the Bible, that's not me. Mourn over their city. See, Jesus and the prophets shed tears of mourning for the things of the cities that they saw. When's the last time the sin of our cities, of our neighbors, of our political leaders caused us to mourn, not shout? caused us to bend our knee in prayer and beg God to bring healing to our land rather than a deliverer or just a new leader who's just as broken. Now let's look at the black hand. These are the things we're called to mourn over, but verse four doesn't stop there. It says, blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. You see, the first part of this verse doesn't make sense without the second part of the verse. Jesus is saying, listen, blessed are when you go through hardship if you don't give up because you'll receive the prize at the end of the race. We're not called to start the race. We're called to finish the race. And you said, Daniel, what does it mean? Because in Jesus, there's always a now and a not yet. 
a yet and a not yet. We see this in Revelation 6, where it talks about the fifth seal that's about to be broken in the judgment. In verses, uh, verses 6 to 11, it says, all of the saints who'd been mourning, who had been martyred, who had been suffered, who had been just crucified, just like Jesus, they're underneath and they're begging, they're asking God, when? <coughs> when will you redeem us? You, we know you're our just God. When will you bring vengeance? Because the Bible says vengeance is the Lord. That's why we can mourn and not take vengeance because we trust that one day he will. They say, God, when? He says, just a little bit longer. But he takes them and he gives them new robes, comforts them. You see, one day, the promise of our God is that he sees every injustice, that he will right every wrong. But in the meantime, he brings us his comfort through the Holy Spirit. The judgment you may be looking for might be a not yet, but the comfort of God is absolutely for now. The Holy Spirit comes to comfort us just the way the saints have given new robes, this beautiful picture of this white, of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What you're going through in your mourning, why can you be blessed? Because in your mourning, to the depth of your pain, opens up an opportunity for you to feel the depth of God's grace and the depth of his peace. When there's a storm around you, you get to experience and be comforted by the peace that can be inside of you. You get to understand why Jesus was able to sleep through the storm. Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted now, and you will be comforted not yet. You see, I love that in James 1, we said 1, 2, it says, count it all joy when you go through trials of very kinds. As verse 3 and 4 continues, it says, then your faith will be tested and will produce perseverance. And when perseverance gets its full growth, you will be mature, lacking in nothing. That's the blessing of mourning. When we don't quit, we trust. It says your faith, some of you students in here, some of you young adults, you need to get around some of the people that might have a bit lighter hair than you and maybe have lived a little bit longer than you because your faith is lacking perseverance and you need to get around them and say, tell me the story of your morning. Tell me what you've walked through. I see that you got some crucibles on your back. Tell me about that time you had to pick up your cross and walk through that bankruptcy. Tell me about that time you were wrong but you trusted God and you kept doing it. Tell me about that time where God was faithful. Tell me about that time because it's the morning with consistent trust in God that completes your faith. I like it to the guy that skips leg day at the gym. Some of us were jacked up top, but we got little noodle legs. We got no perseverance. Morning, don't skip leg day in God's gym. Don't run away from hard things. Know that you will meet God and be comforted in ways that you could never experience in the midst of hard things. Jesus says, my kingdom is not what you expected. Moving on. The next is blessed are the meek. It says blessed are the meek. Definition of meek is mild, gentle, friendliness, the opposite of roughness and bad-tempered and, uh, and sudden anger and brusqueness. Gentle. They don't lash back in self-defense. These are the people that get the earth. I'll, I'll put it this way in Canadian. Meekness. Those that don't lash back, even in your passive-aggressive comments. <laughs> Those that don't lash back, 
even in your thought life. Again, because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it's this beautiful picture of this new law that he's giving. He says, hey, you used to say, like, don't commit adultery. Even if you think about it, you've done it now. I don't come to make it easier. I come to complete the law. He says, don't lash back this meekness. And it's crazy because he's speaking. He says, you're going to inherit the earth. But they're speaking to people who are underneath the thumb of a Roman government that with strength and violence, they inherited the earth. See, the Roman government would have said, blessed are the strong, for they're going to inherit the earth, that they're going to expand. You see, his kingdom will be established different. How you establish a kingdom needs to be congruent with the values of that kingdom. Can I put it this way? Shoving the gospel down someone's throat and telling them that they're going to hell and that's just it with no love to it. You can't establish God's kingdom without the values of God's kingdom. If you're just going to shout at their sin but not know their story, it's not the way Jesus does it. Blessed are the meek that don't lash back, that don't have a witty retort, that don't defend themselves that don't swerve and try and cut that person off right again. Blessed are the meek, those who don't snap back at their child, that snap back at their spouse. Those who are meek, those who don't try and defend themselves when their professor starts making fun of their faith, but understands my God will defend me. Those that are ridiculed because of their faith in high school, that don't have to fight back, but know their God defends them. Blessed are the meek, for they shall in inherit the earth. Situations we're called to be meek in. James 1, 19, 20 says this. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You can't establish God's kingdom by operating under different values. Jesus is walking and saying, listen, my kingdom, it's not what you think. I've called you to be meek, not mighty. As if your might would be good enough anyways. I've called you to mourn so that you might know my comfort. I've called you to be meek so that you might know my power. Again, because we started this in poor in spirit. Following Jesus, it's not what you think. When we're wronged and we feel the need to defend ourselves, meekness. See, it's interesting. Jesus could have come with a sword. Instead, he came with a towel. Like if you think, but, but you don't understand. They, they, this business deal, I was wronged. They stole money from me. That marriage, they, they were dishonest. That business, that, you don't understand. I'm, I'm in right stand. I'm in the right. Who are you following again? The son of God, what happened to him? He's beaten, wrongly accused. His flesh was torn by the flesh he breathed life into. Have we forgot that to follow Jesus, it says you must first die to yourself and daily pick up the method of your own crucifixion and carry it? Jesus said, you're my kingdom. It's not what you think. Because right now we need to live like no one else is willing to live so that one day you can live like no one else is able to live. 
You're called to live with mourning where you trust me enough and you press into my comfort where the possessions and the things that never did a good enough job to bring wholeness to your life anyways aren't what you seek for. You look for my comfort. Your meekness, where you walk in humility, where you don't try and fight for yourself, it mimics me to a world so that when they slap you and you don't respond in anger, they say something's different about you. You see, on the cross, Jesus said he could have called down legions of angels to defend himself. Instead, he accepted the cup his father was giving him. See, if you look at the legalities of the law, hear me this. Jesus stood in our place. The reason we come to Jesus is because he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Why didn't Jesus defend himself? Because as he stood in our place, he was guilty because we were guilty. Had Jesus had defended himself, we would not have access to him. Blessed are the meek. It's one day. They'll inherit the earth. My kingdom. It's not what you think. So what should our response be in the midst of circumstances that cause us mourning? In the midst of situations where we really do want to defend ourselves? It's not apathetic acceptance. Or say, okay, I guess it's just going to happen. It's not escapism. We just got to cut the world out. They're dirty. We can't be dirty. It's not defeatism. Oh, I just, oh, it's me. One day I'll fly away. Be with myself. Yeah, that's really appealing to people. What's our response? You know, I think our response should echo that of our Savior in Luke 22. Verses 39. This is where Jesus is in the garden. He's about to go to the cross. And in this moment, was feeling the anguish, was mourning what was about to happen. He didn't just say, okay, he said, no, God, I don't want to do it. God, it's going to hurt. I can't take you turning away from me. Take it from me. God, take this cup, Father. I, I don't want to do it. And he mourns. But he doesn't end there. Because his allegiance and obedience to the Father was not based on the wealth, was not based on the laughing, was not based on the eating. It was based on the Father's will. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. What's our response in mourning? We're called to pray in our mourning. If your marriage is on the rocks, don't accept that. We go to God and we contend. And we say, God, to my dying breath, Lord, would you restore? God, would you bring life in dead places? We echo the old prophet to say, let the dry bones stand and flesh come and, and breath come. That cancer that you've been diagnosed for, we ask for God to change it. We ask for healings of eyes to change around. We ask for members in our family. We pray and we seek not just once. Jesus prayed three times, said, Father, take this cup. But our posture towards God is always not my will, 
but yours. Second, respond obediently. God, this business deal that's gone south, Lord, would you write it? But in, in the meantime, I'm going to choose a posture of meekness. God, I need you to, my boss right now, he's just, he doesn't get it, and I feel like I'm getting taken advantage of. God, I know you see, and I'm going to pray and contend for things to change, but in the meantime, my response is my responsibility. And God, I'm going to be honoring. I'm not going to speak ill of them. It's time for the church to stop justifying the words that come out of their mouth. James calls it fire, venom to stop justifying the things we say because we don't agree with it. Jesus never gave you that license. And in his kingdom, it's not what you think. Oh, I don't understand the decisions the church's making. Meekness. I, I don't know if I agree. Meekness, because one day you'll be held account. Again, I'm speaking to followers of Jesus in this place. Those who are mature, as James 3 and 4 says, through perseverance, you're lacking in nothing. Our response, we're called the response of being number three. Receive comfort in your mourning. I love that it says that moment an angel came and it comforted Jesus. He still had to go through what he was going through, but he didn't have to go through it alone. Can I tell you, for those who are in Christ Jesus, you do not have to go at it alone. On the, on the other hand, Luke's woes are to people that in the midst of their mourning, they look to temporary things, hoping that that will bring satisfaction. You don't have to live very long to understand your natural means fall short. If you want to bow your head and close your eyes, maybe you're in this place and you know all too well what I'm talking about. You've been trying to find comfort in your mourning through a bunch of different things rather than the cross. And there's mourning. And the woes that Luke talks about, that's where you're living right now. Can I tell you that available to you is comfort, but only for those who come poor in spirit, who understand their absolute need for God, that say, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my bank account isn't going to save me. My reputation isn't going to save me. My good works aren't going to save me. I can't mourn enough to earn your grace. God, I need you. If you're in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you say, Daniel, I need to start a relationship. I need Jesus to come. I need comfort in the midst of my pain, because that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Just raise your hand real quick. We're just going to give a moment. Yeah, come on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Say, Jesus, I need your comfort. So Holy Spirit, I ask for every hand that's raised, Lord, as they come humbly before you, saying, God, I can't do it on my own. I need your comfort. Jesus, I ask that you would comfort those who mourn. You know, the promise of the Bible in Isaiah is that Jesus came. He even says it in Luke as Jesus prophesies about himself. I came for the brokenhearted. I came for the blind. I came for the lost. I didn't come for the healthy. They don't need a doctor. I came for the sick who need a doctor. And the beautiful saying in Isaiah is that he binds up the brokenhearted. He mends it. He brings it. He sews it back together. So God, I pray, Lord, where sin has brought a breaking, that your grace can bring a healing. Lord, that you come in with your love and you make all things new. Jesus, we admit our absolute need for you. And God, would you teach us what it means to follow you? For those that raised your hands, if you just want to tell someone that you came with, say, hey, listen, I was someone 
that was me. In a moment, we're going to pray for that as we pray for everyone else. But can you do that for me? Because as you heard today, we're not called to do life alone. We're better together. And lastly, we're called to walk in meekness as Jesus did. We see in the garden that his disciples, they misunderstood it. They thought that the kingdom of God was taken through violence. And so they pull out their sword and they cut off the ear. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 stop. Says this. Says, and when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. How do we walk out our meekness or our mourning? With meekness. Yeah, you may be in a hard time. Please don't tell me. Jesus is not making little of your mourning, but he's saying, I'm with you in your mourning. That's why I died on the cross so that I might not just be God around you, but I might be Jesus in you through my Holy Spirit. I'm coming to bring you comfort. So if you want to stand, we're going to pray for that. And along with those four hands that went up to, to welcome Jesus in their heart the first time, as followers of Jesus, I'm just going to give you a moment to repent. I know that's kind of a harsh word sometimes, but simply means this. God, when I've been mourning and I've tried to work it out myself, I've gotten angry at you. I've judged you. I, I cursed you. I thought you left me. And I actually stopped obeying you because of my mourning. God, I repent of that. Or in my meekness, when I responded in anger to my wife, to my spouse, to my teacher, to my classmate, to whatever it is, God, I repent of that. You just take a case. We're going to take 30 seconds. Close your eyes. And you just pray and say, God, would you forgive me for when I did that? God, forgive me when I thought I was good enough to do it. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? You just say, why don't we say that all out loud? Jesus, come on, all together. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Just allow God just to, to clean that out of your heart. God, we thank you. Lord, we don't fight for ourselves. God, we know that you keep the score. That one day, God, you'll be our judge. And in the meantime, you're our comforter. We take great comfort in that, God, that you walk with us. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. For they will be comforted and they will inherit the earth. And right now, we're going to take one more minute if, I, if I'm allowed to. And we're just going to pray and ask God for that comfort we've talked about. And that in the situations where there's wrong, that God might allow you to inherit the earth through meekness, not through force. You know your situation. I don't. Jesus does. And we're going to sing this. We're going to go back to this song, this reckless love. But I, I, more than singing it, the band's going to sing it. But if you want to just lift your hand, say, Jesus, I need to feel your comfort. The comfort of God is something you're meant to feel, not just know about. You're meant to experience. It's available to you through the Holy Spirit. So whatever we're walking through this morning, Jesus, would you come and be our comfort? Come on.